Would you join me in prayer as we ask for God's help? Mighty God, as we look at your word this morning, please enable me to preach it, to speak. Enable me to preach in a way that's clear and faithful, relevant to our lives and honouring to your name. By your spirit, Lord, please enable not only me to preach, but us all to hear and understand, to take to heart what you say, to turn from sin and selfishness where we need to, to honour you with our lives and even our money and possessions. So, Lord, please give us uh, openness to what you say to us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I think for most of us, me included, we find it hard to be generous. And we find it hard to be generous with our money. When there's things we need, bills to pay, a car to fix, clothes for the kids, when it always feels that there's things we need, we find it hard to be generous. And when there's things we want, new shoes, a newer car, a neat garden, a nice holiday, we find it hard to be generous. When we're fearful of not having enough, we find it hard to be generous. Or when we stay focused on ourselves, are we will fail to be generous. When we forget what God has done for us and what he will do, we will fail to be generous to those in need. We're thinking about generosity today and how remembering what God has done and what and trusting in what he promises he will do, how that moves us to be generous to those in need. We're in Deuteronomy in this section where Moses is explaining what our love for God and our love for our neighbour looks like. And last week in chapter 14, the Israelites, they were commanded to set aside a tithe of all they get. Giving 10% of our income, as we heard last week, it's not a command that we need to obey or restrict ourselves to. Instead, the application for us, if you were here last week, was, who can I love with my money? And how can I love others with my money and material possessions? And what does my giving say about my loving? This theme of giving continues in our passage with a special focus on the poor. And our first point this morning is, if you're following in the outline, generosity to the poor. Start of chapter 15 begins with this. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts or grant a release. Some commentators or writers suggest that this only means that the security on the loan had to be given back or that repayments on the loan would be cancelled for that seventh year. But really, most likely, whatever was still owed to the lender was to be cancelled in full. Whatever was left unpaid come the seventh year was to be written off, verse 3. And when we think about that, isn't that radical generosity? It's radical generosity to those who owe you. People then rarely went into debt because of irresponsible spending. It was usually because of a bad harvest 
or the death of a breadwinner in the family. People went into debt so they could eat and live. Often it was the poor people who had debts. But these poor people weren't strangers known by some Centrelink or bank account number. No, look at verse 3. It's for your fellow Israelite, literally for your brother. You must cancel any debt that they owe you. God is saying, remember they're your neighbor, your brother. The NIV says in verse 4 that there need be no poor people among you. More literally, though, it reads, there will be no poor people among you. And so the solution to society's poverty had rested entirely in the hands of those who had power to do something about it. I think it sounds a bit like Bob Hawke's promise. In 1987, the Australian Prime Minister, or then Prime Minister Bob Hawke, said, by 1990, no Australian child will be living in poverty. Oh, how we wish that was so. Now, what God says through Moses in verse 4, it seems to contradict verse 11. There will always be poor people in the land. But God here in verse 4 is not making false promises. And it's not lacking the power to fulfill them either, like Bob Hawke. Back in verse 4, there will be no poor, no poor if, verse 5, if only you obey the Lord God and are careful to follow all these commands. So having no poor was the ideal, an ideal that would be realized if the Israelites obeyed the Lord fully. But we know, don't we, that sin, with its I'll take care of me and mine attitude, our sin dwells in all of our hearts, Israelites included. And so God knew that they wouldn't obey him fully. And God makes that clear in verse 11. There will always be poor people among you and there'll always be people with debts a brief comment on debts today our debts at least our home loans they aren't paid off in six years or how it would be nice to have a bank cancel your loan after seven years it's not that would be nice but but as christians we are to pay off our debts romans chapter 13 verse 8 says so God wants us to pay off our debts. It's also, we should be careful and borrow wisely. So before borrowing money, please consider if you should or if you will be able to pay it off. And if if you borrow that money and have to pay it off, will I still have the means to give to others? We should also be really careful with credit. Don't strive for a lifestyle above your income or beyond your means. Coming back to Deuteronomy 15, look at the motivations for cancelling the debts of the poor. In verse 2, God commands it. But also verse 4, for God is going to give them this land to possess as an inheritance. So God's generosity in giving them the land to grow their crops on, that should move them to generosity. And and they're told in that land, the Lord will richly, greatly bless you. Verse 6, he will bless you as he has promised. 
His promise of provision should change their attitude and their actions to others. Not just those with debts, but verse 7, to anyone who is poor among them. And those with means and material possessions, there are four things that they are to avoid. Four things to avoid. Firstly, a hard heart, verse 7. Do not be hard-hearted. So don't ignore people, write them off. Don't fail to be compassionate and feel for those in need. Secondly, don't be tight-fisted to those who are poor. Don't close your hand. Instead, open your hand and give. Give of what you have. Verse 8, it says, freely lend them whatever they need, sufficient for their needs. And that is radical, costly generosity. Whatever they need. Thirdly, avoid wicked thoughts. Verse 9, this is avoiding the thinking that, oh, the seventh year, that's just around the corner. If I lend them something now, I know I'm not going to get it back. It's, it's, that is a Scrooge mentality. It's this thinking selfishly, God forbids. And yet how many times has that been us? How many times do we think selfishly? Fourthly, verse 10, give generously without a begrudging heart, without a grudging heart. To emphasize something in Hebrew language, you can repeat the word. And so in verse 4, richly bless is bless, bless. And in verse 10, give generously is literally give, give. And the Israelites are to give generously without a begrudging heart. And we're sad and begrudging when we focus on what we lose rather than what they get. And so God says to Israel, because I have and I will provide for you, be generous to the needy. Be generous. Briefly, another category of needy person was the servant or slave. But really the theme of debts continues here because people would normally sell themselves into slavery to pay off a debt especially when they're in extreme poverty. So verse 12 says, if any one of your people, literally your brothers, your fellow Hebrews, sell themselves to you in the seventh year, you are to let them go free. And this freedom from slavery would also happen every 50th year, the year of Jubilee, and Leviticus 25 explains that. An example of this freeing of slaves is recorded for us in Jeremiah chapter 34. You can read that later. But remember how God made the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day. The seventh day was to be a day of rest. And now we're learning here that the seventh year, on the seventh year, the land was to rest. And on the seventh year, people could also find rest from their debts and rest from their slavery. It was a time for enjoying God's generous provision. Now Moses explains that a servant could choose not to go free in the seventh year. And that meant getting your ear pierced to show your permanent commitment to your master. 
I think the meaning of ear piercing might have changed today. It doesn't indicate that you're a permanent slave. But if the slave is freed, it's no good if they're let go just to enter poverty again, is it? And so radically, the master is told not to send them away empty-handed, but with parting gifts. Animals, grain, wine. In other words, food, drink, and an income. Give to them, God says, as the Lord your God has blessed you. And verse 18, don't give to them begrudgingly. Oh, on the seventh year, I'm losing my, my labor force. I'm losing my cheap labor. There's to be no reason to complain. No FOMO. No fear of missing out. For God says, well, it's been worth it. And besides, the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. And so again, the motivation for obeying and being generous to others is a trust that God will bless and materially provide for us in the future. And another motivation is given in verse 15. Look at that. Remember you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That's why I give you this command today. God had redeemed or set Israel free from slavery and now he doesn't want them to lapse into slavery again. The past blessing of being freed from slavery was to motivate God's people to generously free others from slavery and the debts that were tied to them. And it is the exodus, freedom from slavery, that forms the backdrop to what's said in verse 19 to 23. Our next brief point, generosity to God. Set apart for the Lord your God every firstborn male of your herds and flocks. And verse 20, each year you and your family are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose. Do you remember how the firstborn sons and livestock of Israel were saved during the Passover when the lamb was sacrificed and the blood was painted on the door frames of their house? The firstborn were freed from death. And in Exodus 13, God said that the firstborn from now on belong to him. Like with the tithe too. God is not to get the leftovers and the rejects. Instead, God is to get the best. And God is to get the first. But just picture yourself as an ancient farmer. The firstborn of your sheep, your goats, your cattle. It's born... And each season, every season, it is to be set apart for the Lord. I mean, this takes trust because however many offspring are born, many or few, the first goes to the Lord. It is sacrificed to the Lord God. Now, the man and his family get to share in the meal. Numbers chapter 18 tells us that the priests and their families also share in it. Now, of course, God does not actually eat it, but the principle is God invites his people, his family, to share in his meal. 
And that's just what happened. We saw last week in chapter 14, verse 23, with the tithe. The tithe, or 10%, was to be eaten in the Lord's presence at the tabernacle. And we're also told there that every three years, their tithe was to be given to meet the needs of the Levites, those who served at the tabernacle and in teaching God's word to God's people. It's meant to provide for their needs and the needs of the foreigners and the fatherless, the widows and the orphans. In other words, those who don't own land and get income from it are provided for. And the point of this section is the firstborn belong to the Lord. And just as God's people are to be open-handed and generous to the poor, so they are to be open-handed and generous to God and to his servants. But how does all this relate to us? Our next point is generosity from us. I hope you'll see that the principles driving the teaching in Deuteronomy 15 are still true for us, even if the details and the specifics have changed. God commanded his old covenant people Israel to be open-handed towards the poor and needy, particularly to their brother Israelites. And when we think about who the New Testament calls Christians to be generous to, what does it say? I'd like to highlight four groups of people. Uh, Those who are preachers, those who are missionaries, the poor, and the Christian poor. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, speaks of how it is right for those who preach the gospel to receive their living from the gospel. God wants his people to give to the church and to those who pastor them to provide for their pastor's needs. I'm thankful that you provide for your pastor's needs. And for all who give generously to the ministry here, we thank you and we also thank God. Paul also expresses his thankfulness for the Philippians supporting his mission work as he travels to take the gospel to other unreached, unsaved people. And so us giving to evangelists and missionaries is good. Also, we are to care about the poor generally. Jesus called his disciples in Luke Luke chapter 12, verse 33, he said there, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And do you remember when Zacchaeus, when he was saved by Jesus, changed by Jesus, he not only was generously giving back to those he cheated, but also giving generously to the poor. An example for us. But we have specific commands in the New Testament that call us to focus our giving, particularly on giving to poor believers, poor fellow believers. In Galatians chapter 6, we're told, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And this is just like in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, 
How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I think we need to let that sink in. I mean, 1 John chapter 3, that's like Deuteronomy 15 applied to us. That the needs of poor believers was behind Paul's fundraising efforts amongst many churches and behind the effort that he speaks of in First and Second Corinthians. There was a great famine in AD 52. And in Romans 15, Paul mentions that the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And in 1 Corinthians 16, he calls the Corinthian Christians to set aside money each Sunday for the poor. And he comes to the matter of this collection in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. If you could turn to that in your Bibles, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 8 verse 4, the Macedonians had given sacrificially and generously for the relief of the saints. In fact, they gave money for Paul's ministry, we learn elsewhere, as well as for the poor. But it seems the Corinthians had slackened off in their giving, even though they'd promised it previously. And yet Paul's longing in 8 verse 14 is that Christians would share with one another so that we all have enough. His God-given desire is that all of us, all believers, would have enough. And why should they? And why should we be generous in our giving? Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The Israelites looked back to the past blessing of being freed from slavery in Egypt. We Christians look back to the past blessing of being redeemed and set free by Christ. He sets us free from sin, death, hell. He gave up the riches of heavenly glory to be born in a stinky stable in a dark world. He, he gave up the, his riches to come to live God's way, to live on this earth surrounded by sinners, to be tempted by Satan, and then to die a naked, shameful death on a cross. He he came to die to take our death and our judgment on himself so that we who trust in him could receive life and glory and eternal riches. Jesus became poor so that we through his poverty could become rich. God isn't generous to those who earn and deserve it, but to we who don't deserve it and can never earn it. And in Jesus, we receive what we need and more, so much more. And when we think about this, and when we focus on this, what Christ did for us in the past, it moves us to be generous. 
And if you're convicted today that you've not really been generous to others, before thinking about how much you should give, please reflect first on how much you've already been given in Christ, how much you've already been given in Jesus. So there's no, there's no manipulating guilt or legalistic requirements when it comes to giving. Grace is the motive and believers being gracious is the response. Grace to us. It produces graciousness in us. But it's not just grace in the past that motivates our giving. Look at chapter 9, verse 6. Because as in Deuteronomy, we see that God, God promising you to meet our present and future needs. Verse 6, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all times, sorry, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is not teaching prosperity gospel. That if you give $100 today, it's going to come back $200 next week. And that you will get greater riches. It's not that we give so we can get more. No. But if we if we get more, then we can give more. If I get a raise, so I can give more. I don't think I always see it like that. Verse 8, the point is when we give, God's grace will abound to you so that you will have sufficient so that you will have what you need. And if God enriches you with more, the Apostle Paul says, it's so you can be more generous, so you can keep abounding in good works. And so what this is saying is God will bless givers with the means to keep on giving, with more people thanking God as a result. I wonder if we may think, when I'm earning more, then I'll give. Or when I've reduced the mortgage and got the kids through school, then I'll be more generous. Yet God promises to meet our present and future needs when we give. The question is, will we trust him? Will I trust him? God's grace and blessing, his past provision and the promise of future provision is to prompt us to give. And this moves us finally to the what of our generosity. Maybe God wants you to consider and reassess your giving to gospel ministry here at Bundy or to the needs of our, our missionaries. 
But the focus of Deuteronomy 15 and of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is on giving to the poor. And so the question for all of us is, am I able, sorry, as I'm able, as I am able, am I giving to the poor, especially to fellow believers in poverty? Now, we can give one-off gifts, but I encourage you to consider a, a habit of generosity. I think a habit of generosity is helpful for all of us. And even in Melbourne, there are many needs and opportunities. The year nine students at my kids' school, they had an eight-day city experience. And they've been thinking about how to help the homeless. And they've considered how giving money to a homeless beggar on the street is not always the most helpful thing. But we can give food. And so maybe if you work in the city, maybe you could plan to take an extra piece of fruit to someone, to hand to someone, as you look them in the eye to show that you care about them as a person. We could support a ministry to the needy with our time or our money. The organisation Christians Against Poverty seeks to relieve those in Australia who are being crushed by debts. And if we want to give to Christians, I'm thankful for the ministry of Barnabas Fund who provide for the great, severe material and spiritual needs of persecuted Christians around the world. But maybe, maybe for you, you know a friend. Maybe you know a brother or sister at Bundy here who are struggling to pay their rent. Or maybe you know some grandparents who are struggling to get by on the pension and maybe you have the means to help. There's opportunities to lend or give to people here, those without work, those without a visa to live in this country. And I thank God for the many who are helping them, the many who have been helped at Bundy, we have a diaconal fund that goes completely towards helping people with their material needs. You're welcome to contribute to that out of love for your neighbour. And when we can't give because of our circumstances, please don't feel guilty. We can still pray and encourage and love poor and needy people. We can love them in ways that flow from a generous heart, even if we don't have money. Most of it, most of us, as I said at the start, find it so hard to be generous. The problem starts with our hearts. A mother was preparing pancakes for her two boys, Kevin, aged five, Ryan, aged three. The boys began to argue over who'd get the first pancake. And their mum said, if Jesus was sitting here today, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Kevin turned to his younger brother, Ryan, and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> it's not just kids, but I think we all can find it hard to be generous. And if we have children, 
Maybe it would be helpful to talk with our kids or grandkids about how we find it hard not to be selfish with our money or the things that God gives us. How are you going at encouraging your kids to be generous? And how are you going at helping them to see the Jesus reason for that? That he became poor so that we could become spiritually rich. And that that's why we as a family are filling Operation Christmas Child Box. And that's why we want to be encouraging our child to give of their pocket money to the needs of others. Help them to know why. And let's not just talk about and model to our children or to others. Let's not just talk about and model generosity with our our money, but let's model generosity with our possessions and our home and our time and our talents and our energy and our love. Helping our children to see that God says, verse 7, Each of you should give whatever you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. As I close, if you're following in the outline, you've got two blanks that you may wish to fill in. God's gracious blessings move us to give generously. Generously. And maybe you could fill in that blank right at the end, the answer to this question, because God has blessed me in Christ and by meeting my material needs, what I would like to do in response is, because God has blessed me in Christ and by meeting my material needs, what I would like to do in response is, I hope you'll fill in something, think about something. Let us pray. God, when we think about this radical generosity, I think for me and for so many of us, we're reminded we see our selfishness, our our lack of faith and trust. We hold on to our things so easily and find it so hard to be open-handed and generous. Please lead us to turn from sin and trust in you. Please make us more like Jesus, generous, loving, sacrificial. Help us to be people who are willing to live simply so that we might provide for the needs of others, especially fellow brothers and sisters who have less. Lord, I pray that you'd move us even this week to consider our own situation, the way you've blessed us materially, and that we might think about how you would have us respond for the good of others, for the glory of God's name, and so that much more praise and thanksgiving might come as a result. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.